just in case I turn around and uh, confuse the soundman. So, so as some of you heard earlier, that uh, I'm Fiona's husband. You, uh, anybody with small children, this is a, a fate that's going to come to you. You lose your identity. You will be Johnny's mother and father. I'm Fiona's husband. So, uh, so today is Mothering Sunday. Or is it Mother's Day? And what does that mean? Uh, I spoke on this a couple of years ago. You might have heard it. We did. We recorded it because we were in lockdown at the time. And I very reflected on the concept of Mothering Sunday, which goes back in Britain to the 16th century. Uh, people were encouraged to go back to their, 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 their mother church, the church where they were baptised. And because they went back to where they were baptised, apprentices or people who were in service had an opportunity to go and speak to their mothers. So hence it became a Mother's Day. And I also reflected on Anna Jarvis in America in 1908, who took this idea and turned it into Mother's Day, which was a celebration of motherhood. And I also then reflected on Anna uh, on uh, Constance Smith, who in two world wars revived that idea, but used it to, uh, to, uh, to, for young servicemen serving overseas to remember their mothers. And um, so from that, what is it? Is it a, uh, a reminder to us all of our origins, uh, where we came from? Is it a celebration of motherhood? Is it a, a service for people away from home to give them an anchor to, to cling to? Or is it for people who've flown the nest to remind them to go back and, uh, and think of your mothers? And the answer is, it's all of those. And what it is to you depends on where you are, your circumstances and what people need. So that gives us the question, how do we interpret events? And that's really the theme of tonight. Now we've been listening to the voices of Easter, considering the first-hand experiences of people who were present in Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. And we're looking at the hours leading up to Christ's crucifixion and the events that followed shortly afterwards. So we're looking at the world through their eyes. We're trying to consider what drove their actions and what influenced their beliefs. And then consider how does that affect us. And today we're going to consider the voice of Thomas sometimes called Doubting Thomas. Now I was first introduced to the story of, Doubt, of Thomas, probably at primary school, 55 years ago. And the description of Doubting Thomas, it was seen to be a bit of a weak character. It was a flaw in his character. And that's how I took it. But uh, how could you actually doubt such an obvious truth? But as I get older, I realise that Thomas's actions actually holds a mirror up to ourselves. And increasingly, I find I identify more with Thomas. So Thomas isn't a failure. Thomas is, is actually a hero. So from that, when, when we're very young, we believe everything we're told. We even believe our mothers, which is, uh, which is uh, unusual. Uh, but as you get older, we actually encourage people to question. And that's good, because questioning means that you, you build up a, a better understanding. And so we've got to, to follow that line. But the problem with questioning is there's a risk of it. Because in questioning, you might come up with the wrong answers. And so uh, from that, we've got to be very careful. I mean, we see it on our television screens in, in dramas, that quite often the story will take us so, so far. And we, we decide to do who the good guys are and the bad guys are. And then a fact will be thrown in, some new evidence, and the whole story is turned on its head. 
And the good guys are now the bad guys, and the bad guys are now the good guys. But that happens in real life, as we've been talking about Ukraine and elsewhere. Just switch on the television or the radio, and straight away you will, you will hear words like news, evidence, false news, fake news, disinformation, verification, fact-checking. So all around us is this, how do you make sense uh, of what is happening? And um, so, personally, I need to see evidence of something before I truly believe it. I, 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 I'm, that's the way I am. I'm actually in my day job a professional engineer, and I specialise in the control of, of risk in hazardous industries, in nuclear, oil and gas, things that can hurt a lot of people. And in that, what a principle I follow is plain argument evidence. I look for a system which is made out of equipment, operated by people, and I've looked to see the claim, what is it that system can do? I then look to see what is the argument about how it's going to do it, and then I want to see evidence to prove that. And if I can't see those, that claim argument evidence, there's a weakness, there's a potential accident. And that's what I seek to, uh, to, to find out. So, but often, or in fact almost always, your evidence isn't complete, your evidence case isn't fully complete, and there are holes in your argument. So you have to then make sense of what bits you've got. And so that raises the question, what is the truth? I mean, we look helplessly watching events in Ukraine at present, and we, we can see the atrocities going on, and, uh, but we, I was interested by a series of uh, reports on the BBC speaking to Russians about how they do it. And those same facts are presented in a completely different way. And they believe that the story is something completely different. Uh, in fact, there was one person I was very uh, uh, interested to say, the only truth is the truth that's been approved by the Kremlin. So there we have facts that are put together, but that's what holds their nation together. And I've, uh, I've met quite a few Russians in my time, and uh, they're not all bad people. And then there's the Covid conspirators. I know people who don't believe the facts about Covid. They dispute that how many people have died. They question the value of masks and vaccine and refuse to be vaccinated. So there is questions and doubt at, at every turn. Now Thomas was in exactly this position with respect to Jesus. Who was Jesus? What evidence, evidence did he have to underpin all that belief? And to explore this further, I ask you the question, who am I? Well, to some people, I'm a professional engineer. To others, I'm a retired naval officer. To another group, I'm an industrial archaeologist. That's probably one of the things I do most these days. Uh, and to other people, I'm just some old bloke they don't really know with a grey beard. And the answer is, I'm, I'm all of those, depending on your standpoint. Uh, my daughter Ruth got married in the summer, and uh, I was asked by the registrar to state my rank or profession. And I said, professional chartered engineer. And my daughter was, was a bit taken aback, and she says, no, no, you're a retired naval officer. So it was interesting that even though I haven't worn the uniform for 20 years, that my daughter saw me as a naval officer, and I saw myself as an engineer. So, what am I? Now, I can show you my commission from the Queen, signed by Elizabeth R, to prove I'm a naval officer, always on the retired list. I can show you my charter from the Institute of Mechanical Engineers, to prove that I'm a chartered engineer. I can show you a body of research into industrial archaeology to do that, and you can see by your own going, I'm, I'm old and I've got a grey beard. 
But it doesn't stop with having evidence. You've got to interpret it. Uh, and so even when you've got all the evidence, you can come to the wrong conclusions. In my uh, job as an industrial archaeologist, I'm involved with an old mill. This mill is, goes back a thousand years, and in that time it's been a tucking mill, a fulling mill, a brass mill, and latterly a sports centre. Now the bit I'm interested in is the time between 1720 and 1800, when it was a brass mill. And that was a very important uh, um, uh, period of development. But when you come into the mill, what you'll see is there is a large cabinet workshop and in the middle of it, a squash court, which was built for the, the sports centre. So if people came into it and simply looked at it, they would see a big building and a white room. What does it mean? Well, what we've got is interpretive displays in the, in the squash court, which tell you about the brass industry. And so we take people through, people through there. Then when they get to the back of the mill, they come up to the water wheel, which drives the dynamo, which lit the squash court. And only when I te we tell them about the dynamo do they realise they've walked through a squash court. So hidden in full view. Slightly trivial example, but this is where, this is where Thomas is. So what evidence did, uh, did Thomas have? He'd spent the previous three years walking with Christ, travelling with Christ, and listening to his preaching and, and seeing his, uh, his, his, uh, his miracles. Um, now Thomas would have been present when the Pharisees and Sadducees tasked Jesus, attested Jesus, and asked him to show a sign from heaven. And Jesus answered, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. And later, Jesus said to the disciples, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And at first they took this at, uh, at uh, word literally, beware of the bread made by the Pharisees and Sadducees. But soon they realised what he was warning was beware of false teachings. Now, Matthew's account of these events carries on where Christ says to, to his disciples, Who do you say I am? Who do you say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And uh, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Simon, or sorry, Peter rather, as only Peter can do, jumped up and said, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, O Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. But we've met Thomas's uh, questioning nature before. In John's Gospel, we hear of, uh, of Christ teaching, You believe in God, believe also in me. I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas's response is, Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? Now the event we're considering takes place, and let's put this into real time, Sunday night now, the first time Christ appears to the disciples was last Sunday. He'd been crucified the Friday before that. So we're talking just over a week ago. Now the events, those 72 hours between Thursday and Sunday, are, are key. Now if you go into a high Anglican church, like Belfast St Mary's down in, 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 uh, in Belfast, 
our Catholic church like St. John's over in the river. I do encourage you to go into these churches and, and, and try and read the church. Now, in there, you'll see on the walls a series of tablets, which are called the, the, the Stations of the Cross. There's 14 of them. Now, these were taken out of, of other churches at the Reformation as being idolatrous. But I think that was a mistake. In taking them away, we've, we've lost something. Now, what those, those 14 tablets do is they, they show the events of the hours leading up to the crucifixion. There are 14 of them. Jesus is condemned to death. He takes up his cross. He falls for the first time. He meets his mother. Simon of Cyrene helps him with his cross. Veronica wipes his face. He falls for a second time. He meets the women of Jerusalem. He falls for a third time. He's stripped of his garments. He's nailed to the cross. He dies on the cross. And he's taken down from the cross. And he's laid in the tomb. Now Thomas was witness to these events. It was over. What he'd been led to believe wasn't true. Christ was dead. Now the, the events, what we're looking at now, is that, um, that Thomas has been asked to, uh, to, to believe that in three days, actually less than three days, sometime between three o'clock on Friday and dawn on Sunday, Christ rose from the dead. Now that's, he'd just seen him die. Now this is an enormous thing to take in. And this is possibly the most important bit of the Bible. Throw everything else away, because if this didn't happen, there is no Christianity. This is the thing that underpins everything. And this is what Thomas saw, that he, there was no evidence of it. Now there's a line of thought in, in high Anglican churches, Catholic churches, there should be 15 stations of the cross. The 15th being the resurrection. Now, interestingly, in that sort of church here, we would see the symbols of those events. That uh, we see the altar. The altar is the table. That is the Last Supper. This is the crossing. In a medieval church, there will be a screen here. And above it will be a tableau of the crucifixion. So the cross, probably with Mary and, uh, and John at the foot of the cross. We've got the cross there. And on the altar, uh, you would have had what's called a tabernacle. It's a locked box. And this box contains the, 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 the Eucharist, the, the present, that is the, the centre of the presence of Christ. And on Good Friday, the tabernacle is emptied and the door is left open. That is the, the empty tomb. So there are those three key elements which we see about us. So the, uh, now what Thomas was missing was that 15th element, that uh, without that, how could he believe? Now, those events we actually talk about when we say the creed. That the creed was uh, formulated in 325 AD, so 300 years after, after Christ's time. But those words are, uh, are very key. And uh, I'll repeat some of them here. I believe in one God, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who was incarnate of the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and he ascended into heaven. Now we cite this quite often by rote, but how often do we stop and really consider the enormity of that declaration? It is the foundation of Christianity. 
It's what turns Christ into Christ rather than another prophet. So where does that leave Thomas? And where does it leave us? Christ said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas replies, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now personally, I have a great affinity with Thomas. I, have, uh, I try to piece together an understanding based upon what I hear, what I read, and what I witness. I've never had a road to the massacre experience. I've never, Christ has never shown me the scar in his side, the marks of the hands in his, in his nails, the marks of the nails in his hands and feet, in the way that he showed Thomas. I've been a Christian since birth. I've always been a Christian. There has never been a time when I wasn't a Christian. But I carry on questioning and searching all that way through. Now in searching, you can start with a claim, an, un, an unshakable belief, and then search for evidence to try and build up a, a, a proof of your belief. Or you can start with the evidence and look at that evidence around and try and make sense of it. But whichever way you go, the reality is never that clear cut. Now friends and companions have been on the same path. And in preparing this talk, I, my thoughts turned to two people I served at sea with. Sadly, both died quite young. They both died in their early 60s. Uh, and I went to both their funerals. Now, one shipmate was a devout Christian. I shared a two-berth cabin on a submarine with him. And believe me, that is small. It is intimate. I mean, the, your bunk is six foot long, 18 inches wide across the shoulders, just like a coffin. And there's two, one above the other. Uh, and that is a so-called cabin. Uh, now, he read his Bible daily, uh, every night. He would read his Bible before going to sleep. Now, he sadly died of cancer and had time to write his own eulogy. And at his uh, memorial service, his eulogy was read. And in that, he declared that he hadn't made sense of it, that he had actually lost his faith. And it was a, a non-religious service that we had. Now, my other shipmate, again, sadly died, um, his eulogy was delivered by the vicar of the church where he was church warden. Now he didn't make a big thing about his faith, but quietly got on with it. And yet from his eulogy, it was clear that his faith was strong right at the end and hadn't broken. Now all I can bring is 60 years plus of doubt and question. Of building up, of testing, of dismantling, then reassembling and still searching. Doubt is important. It makes you question, leading to a greater understanding. But the risk is, you might get the wrong answer. So you've got to be careful. But absolute faith is also dangerous, because you might miss obvious errors. So how to pull this, this rambling together, the voice of Thomas? I'll leave you with just one thought, recently reiterated by the Archbishop Canterbury. You may lose God, but God will not lose you. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I'm going to get the band up as we draw to a close, and I just want to pray for us. Um, I've always found Thomas quite an inspiring person in many ways, and he's, you know, we call him Downton Thomas, though, and he's had a bad rap. 
But when he makes that declaration, uh, my Lord and my God, it's one of the most powerful declarations in Scripture because he has this incredible revelation of who the Christ really is. I'm also really moved because Jesus could have turned up and given him a really hard time saying, yeah, why didn't you believe? They all told you I was back. You never trusted them. And he said, I'll only believe if I see his hands and his wounds. And Jesus is so kind because he does that. He helps us to show him. And of course in that moment Thomas doesn't need to see any more. And so as Tony says, having doubts, I think it's okay. Because if it, if it feeds our search and our hunger, the great thing is Jesus is willing to come and meet us in that place. And so I want to pray for us that where you maybe feel like James talks about having been having doubts and being blown around and struggling, that Jesus will come and speak some calm and truth into your circumstances. We might not all have Damascus Road encounters with Jesus, but Jesus wants to reveal himself to us, sometimes in dramatic ways, sometimes in the stillness of his quiet voice. So let's just pray as we close. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your kindness. Your kindness towards Thomas kind of coming back for that second time to meet with him. There's something in the heart of the father that wants to reach out. As Jesus told the story of the parable of the prodigal son and the, the father who runs to embrace this wayward returning son. A son with head bowed low and an apology on his lips being rehearsed and the father didn't give him a chance to speak but ran at him and flung his arms around him to restore him into right relationship. Father, you are the running father that Jesus spoke of to confound the hearers of the day who never understood you as that kind of God. That Jesus, you are the one who demonstrated the love of the father that while we were still far off, you came to meet us in your son embraced us and called us your own. And Jesus, you, as you met with Thomas, you so too want to meet with us in the stillness of our moments of doubt and uncertainty to reveal the Father's great love. So help us. May we be searchers of truth. Lord, you say, Jesus, in your word, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, Jesus, you are the truth the way, the truth and the life. So in our pursuit of knowledge and wisdom and understanding and truth, may we find you in deeper measure. Lord, it's not a one moment wonder where we encounter you, but it's an ongoing journey of walking with you. So help us on that journey. That we, like Thomas, might bow on to recognise you as my Lord and my God. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, stand together and sing our final song.